Okay, everybody, today we're going to talk about Survivor. Uh, no, Laura, we're going to talk about election and voting rights. Oh, so we don't get to vote somebody off the island? Well, we could vote someone off the show. I mean, even if it's just for fun, but... Or for real. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, there are no bad ideas in brainstorming, I guess. Um, (laughs) Go ahead, Andy. Let's see what you got. I mean, I think we all know who's going to get invited to no longer be with us on the show. (sighs) It's me, isn't it? You want to vote me off the show, don't you? Oh, no, of course not, Allie. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out by the end of the episode. I hate you all. Uh, well, <laughs> on today's episode, we're doing the first of probably a couple episodes on election 2020. We're talking about election litigation today. Hopefully everybody's blood pressure can stay under control. And off we go. Welcome to Fine Laws Don't Judge Me, the podcast about the law in real life. I'm Laura Temme, and I'm joined by Allie Marshall. Good morning. <laughs> Andy Leonati. Hello! <laughs> and Joe Fawbush. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm super excited for this topic. <laughs> Laura, I am ready to get mad today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're going to have to keep track of our of our heart rates on this one. Um, this year's election is complicated, to say the least, with the pandemic and everything else going on. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of the cases that are in the works and a very old case that I'm sure a lot of people remember. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. It's the big one. Bush v. Gore. Yeah, I think we should start with that one just while we're still calm and relaxed here. Um <laughs> But yeah, I you know, I've been thinking a lot about whether we're going to have a repeat of Bush v. Gore. It does seem like all the signs are pointing to this election potentially being decided by the Supreme Court. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there certainly seems to be legal challenges that both sides are getting prepared for. Uh, I'm going to put on my polling nerd hat for a <laughs> second here and say that right now, it doesn't point that way. I could be hilariously wrong, um, but I think you would have to see where the margins would have to be so much narrower than any sort of polling data is showing right now for that to happen. Although, yeah, I agree that it's still absolutely terrifying. Yeah, Andy, I think that's a good point because there are you know, battleground states where Joe Biden has a significant lead. Sometimes it's, you know, nine points or greater, um, which would indicate that it might not be as close as Bush v. Gore was in Florida. Um, You know, there still is a concern that it's going to be challenged, even if the vote totals aren't that close. You know, President Trump has said that he legitimately won the popular vote in 2016, Mm -hmm. uh, despite evidence to the contrary. It does seem like he is he is going to challenge the results of the election almost regardless of the vote totals. I think he just tweeted yesterday that there's no way that we can trust the vote totals in this election. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to have a repeat of Bush v. Gore, um, just partially because even from a technology standpoint, the way and using absentee ballots, 
the way that we're voting is completely different than in 2000. You know, we're not going to have this uh, hanging Chad issue. I think it will be interesting to see if there is a challenge to the election. It'll be interesting to see if Bush v. Gore comes up as a relevant precedent because there's language in the decision itself where they sort of say, oh, we don't really want this to be used for anything else. Um, but it has come up in some circuit court cases. So I'm, I'm interested to see if this case is used to swing a, a new challenge one way or the other. All right. Well, you guys are, <laughs> have succeeded in making me a little more nervous. That, did, that didn't take, that didn't take it might, long. It might come up. I don't know if it's going to be the same thing all over again, but I think that mm. this case will come up. Yeah. Yeah, well, there is some question, too, about whether the Supreme Court would even want to get involved in this election. You know, mm-hmm. with with Bush v. Gore, the way that the Supreme Court took up that case uh, has been under question. So has mm-hmm. the legal reasoning used in that case for good reason. And then, yeah. yeah, the fact that they said, you know, this this is a unique case. Nobody ever mentioned this case again, basically, yeah. in the opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw... Um, I think I saw a blog post by a constitutional law professor where they they said it was like Cinderella's dress. It turns into rags at midnight. (laughs) This this opinion, like, we're never talking about this again. (laughs) Uh, Should we briefly, for our younger listeners uh, who don't know what Bush v. Gore is uh, or kind of just know it vaguely, should we kind of refresh everybody's memory? Um, So, yeah, for anybody who needs a refresher... Uh, whether it's just been a long time since you thought about this case or you're like me and you were a little bit on the young side when it happened. Um, So the 2000 election, it all came down to Florida. Um, There was 25 electoral votes up up for grabs. And at the time, Bush led Gore by about 2,000 votes in Florida. And that triggered a machine recount under state law. And then um, Gore's team also requested hand recounts in several counties that tended to vote Democrat. They, they kind of left the more conservative counties alone and didn't bother to ask for recounts there. If memory serves the, the hand recounts, um, they couldn't get them done before the deadline in the state statute. So the Florida secretary of state went ahead and declared Bush the winner But the state Supreme Court said, "Okay, hold on a second and ordered a statewide manual recount. And that's how it sort of came to be in front of the Supreme Court. Um, Bush's team asked for an emergency stay. And now all of a sudden the Supreme Court had to decide if the Florida Supreme Court had exceeded their authority by ordering this recount. They on a five to four decision along ideological lines. Mm-hmm. Um, they just said, let's cut it off here because yep. without the counties in Florida having a, a standard way of counting, manually counting the ballots, they said it violated uh, equal protection rights. You know, it's there were definitely other ways of deciding this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm being kind of kind there. And, <laughs> you know, but, but my biggest question is... Uh, Judicial nominations and judicial appointments have become so politicized today mm-hmm. that if we get another five to four decision, I mean, if if those exact circumstances repeated itself, I don't think people would accept it. You know, in 2000, people just kind of said, OK, well, the Supreme Court has made its decision. Al Gore conceded the next day and mm-hmm. people just kind of went on with their lives. 
But it did sort of didn't. And and again, I'm I'm sort of basing this on things that I've read since. But didn't the the reputation of the court as far as being impartial, didn't it kind of take a hit after this decision? Yeah, it did for sure. Um, but it also was broadly accepted too. Mm-hmm. There, there was definitely uh, sections of the the U.S. who were extremely angry and um, did not like the decision. But I mean, in terms of the overall populace, you know, there wasn't mass protests. There, mm-hmm. you know, people didn't question whether they should not follow the Supreme Court decision. Um, and it's getting to the point where I wonder if that would be the same thing. You know, I mean, of course, people are going to get upset about a decision like that, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially one that's that's so controversial and could have been decided other ways. But my question is, you know, I, I think we would see um, mass protests. I think we would see people in the streets. I think we would see a significant portion of the population not accept the election results and consider the other party an illegitimate president. Well, Gore, I will say also that that Gore conceded in a televised national address mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. later in December. He kind of told people to stand, to kind of lower the temperature a bit. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have to do that. I mean, there's no right. law that says that he has to do that. And no. You know, I mean, I think that's another change between now and then is that, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly President Trump wouldn't concede. I don't know that Joe Biden would concede. Um, so absent a concession from one of the candidates, you know, mm-hmm. you could see this fight drag on quite some time. Yeah. So did I raise everybody's blood pressure? A little bit. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm taking a deep breath. <laughs> I'm going to have a drink with my lunch. <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> boss. <laughs> we should have done this at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, all of it gives me anxiety. And, and, I, and I suppose people may read into it how I sort of view things generally. But I just I have so much angst about the whole creating question marks about mm-hmm. our election process beforehand as if to set it up for yeah. that and to, to like generate stir the stir the pot really for people to not trust it when it may be just fine and that is just so scary because that's how mm-hmm. that's how problems well, begin and yeah to joe's <laughs> point if if we can't if someone can't accept the supreme court's decision we don't really have another mechanism beyond that. So it, yeah, it just kind of becomes if, if people say, well, screw what the Supreme court says, then what do we do? Are my fa- my favorite word, military junta is what we. <laughs> oh, God. oh no. Oh, that's fine. Andy. I didn't want to sleep ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, maybe we should get into a, before we all have a panic attack on, on our show here. Um, maybe we should get into some of Ali's points about the ways that people are calling the results of this election into question. You know, um, ever since Bush v. Gore, election litigation has just spiked every election mm-hmm. year since. And, you know, I don't know the exact count. I'm not sure how many 
if if anyone does have the exact count, but there are hundreds of lawsuits mm-hmm. over this election alone, just that were filed this year. Well, yeah, and that's not even counting uh, election day emergency court filings to mm-hmm. keep polling places open or to close them or mm-hmm. anything like that for just sort of at at the more local level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, because we saw a lot of issues in the primaries even, you know, there were, because of, you know, pandemic restrictions and things, you know, there were such long lines that by the time people got to the door, the polling place was closed. You got, you know, I think we all saw the videos of people banging on the doors and that kind of thing. That's, yeah, that's, that's happened ever since a winning electoral strategy is to just depress the overall amount of votes. Mm-hmm. And that has led to closed polling places and consolidated polling places that has led to long lines. Let's get into one of those, because I think Texas passed a rule allowing everyone over the age of 65 to cast a mail-in ballot without Good. any any excuse. Otherwise, in Texas, you have to have a reason for voting by mail. You know, you have not good. that. Yeah. So right. they're not one of those states that just allows everybody to vote by mail. Some some states do, of course. So the Democratic Party of Texas sued this rule change, saying that under the 26th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, you can't discriminate or restrict voting by age. You know, if you're over 18, all the rules should be the same and you can't restrict certain people for voting. Mm -hmm. So they said that this rule is unconstitutional and the rule should really be anybody can vote regardless of their age so long as they're over 18. They should be able to do it by mail. The Fifth Circuit, though, disagreed. They said that Texas can, in fact, have this rule, that it doesn't violate the Constitution. They're saying it's not too much of a restriction on people voting. It's just, you know, they're balancing the need for states to uh, prevent fraud and the the legitimate state's interest to protect fraud and also this, you know, interest in letting people vote safely. Uh, so the Fifth Circuit, they they did say that the Democratic Party had may have some recourse in lower court by by pursuing an equal protection claim, but that wasn't an issue in the appeals court decision itself. So it got sent back down to lower court. It's still ongoing. We'll see what happens. You know, Texans only have until October 23rd to request a mail-in ballot. So hopefully, the district court can get out a decision fairly soon. Uh, But as it stands right now, people under 65 in Texas cannot request a mail-in ballot for no reason. They would have to go into the polling places. And so then, yeah, of course, the question is, you know, is this going to lower the vote count because people are too scared to go to polling places? Yeah. Do you know what the covered reasons are that someone could request a mail-in ballot? Yeah, I think one of them is disability. Uh, another one is being out of the country. Um, I think there's like four of them, and yeah, they aren't they, they aren't very inclusive. You have to have okay. one of four stated reasons. And yeah, like I said, I think disability. Basically, if you can't physically make it to the, a polling place, mm-hmm. and there was actually a Texas Supreme Court decision that said that 
uh, lack of immunity from COVID-19 does not qualify as a disability. People people try to claim that, like, hey, look, I, I could mm-hmm. get a serious disease if I go. That counts as yeah. a disability. And, and the Texas Supreme Court said, no, it doesn't. Cool. Very surprising. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, <laughs> that whole time I was trying to keep myself from making, you know, like, dad doing yard work noises, like, just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I just the the whole the whole voter fraud thing really makes my blood boil because it just you know there's been so few cases of actual voter fraud, intentional voter fraud, using mail-in ballots, and then you have places like where I'm from. Uh, you know, I'm from a very small town in rural Minnesota, and in in our county they switched to all mail-in voting years ago because there weren't enough people to need an actual polling place and so they just they shut down the actual polling place in the township and they sent everybody absentee ballots and it's been that way for several years now and there's no issue well to quote one of my favorite all-time movies clue but just the voter fraud is just a red herring right like it's not an actual it's not a thing that's causing enough harm. Mm-hmm. There's more good coming out of mail-in voting than there is bad. Yeah, the days of uh, like the Democratic machine in Chicago uh, magically finding more ballots like in 1960. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's still a problem, then figure out how to stop that being a problem, not mm-hmm. actually... Uh, you know, disenfranchising individuals. Right. So I guess we can move on to the next case that will also, uh, I really appreciate you giving me this one, Joe, since this is the (laughs) one that makes, this is the one that makes me the angry. (laughs) (laughs) Was that your intention with this episode, Joe? (laughs) Joe, you have a gift. Um, (laughs) The, uh, the listeners want an angry Andy. So we, we give the (laughs) listeners what they want. Yeah, yeah, Racer, <laughs> Racer, Racer versus DeSantis uh, out of Florida and the 11th Circuit. Um, so for just a little bit of background, in 2018, Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment re-enfranchising convicted felons once they complete, quote, all terms of, end quote, their sentence. Mm-hmm. Panicking because... You know, for whatever reason, the Florida legislature then passed a law defining, quote, all terms of, end quote, a sentence to include court costs, fees, and fines, uh, which can be quite onerous in Florida because the state does not have an income tax. um, And so the judicial branch is essentially funded through these through these court costs that are that are levied. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Then, because of the legislature's action after, after the constitutional amendment pass, passed, uh, voters then challenged the legislature's legislators' actions as a violation of the 24th Amendment's ban on poll taxes. Sure. After a district court, a federal district court sided with voters, the 11th Circuit uh, magically agreed to an to a N-Bank hearing Siding with the legislature earlier this month in a six to four ruling, 
so the ACLU estimates that this will prevent approximately 774,000 people <sighs> from regaining the franchise for this for this election. Wow. Judge, uh, appellate judge, chief chief judge of the 11th Circuit, William Pryor, who has uh, generated a bit of Supreme Court buzz for a second Trump term, said in his ruling that those fees are not a poll tax, but a criminal penalty. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting, though, is that the state of Florida continually refuses to set up a system easily notifying convicted felons how much they may owe so that they can settle their debts and regain the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Judge Pryor apparently thinks everyone can afford $10 bananas <laughs> because he waved away uh, reams of evidence presented in the district court trial showing just how hard it is to get a hold of that information and how financially onerous that is to people who have just gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. And how hard that may be for them to afford thousands upon thousands of dollars in court, in court costs, fees, and fines. We're not even just talking about a criminal fine for your yeah. conviction. We're, ta- we're talking about court costs mm-hmm. here as well. And Judge Pryor also noted that the state has no responsibility to make that information readily available. <laughs> cool. So people are left at, at, the, at a, to kind of a hodgepodge of countywide uh, deals to, you know, you have to maybe go to your, go down to your courthouse and pull the proper paperwork and blah, 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 blah. The, there is a silver, a small silver lining for this election right now in that you can register to vote if you've, because, because of the way the constitutional amendment has worked, you can register to vote. And because at the time, the Florida Board of Elections, I don't that does not have the information available to them either about mm-hmm. how, how much someone may owe and whether you've actually fully satisfied the quote, terms of your sentence. Mm-hmm. And you might only then lose the franchise, say next June, once it's once you know, the bureaucratic, the wheels of the bureaucratic machine determine that you actually owe some money still. Mm-hmm. So the, the left hand doesn't seem to know what the right hand's doing. This, this uh, garbage just infuriates me for a number of reasons. But I mean, I, re- I realize that granting voting rights to everyone over the age of 18, including those who are currently in prison, is not a winning political issue. But if you are a U.S. citizen over the age of 18, you should be able to register to vote and vote. Well, thank you, Andy. I, I, hope, uh, I hope that wasn't too stressful for you. Let people vote. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I agree with you. <laughs> just, yeah, just let people vote. And if you can't win based on who's voting, then too bad. Uh, Allie, I know that it's probably time for me to stop talking and you have an interesting case that you want to talk about as well. Well, want to talk about, maybe that's overselling it (laughs) a little bit. Um, yeah, I kind of, I did some reading up on Donald J. Trump for president versus Murphy, which is a case out of New Jersey. 
in this. Um, the Don- Donald J. Trump for President's uh, Committee, the Nas- Republican National Committee, and the New Jersey Republicans filed a lawsuit against the New Jersey Governor and Secretary of State uh, for an executive order that they issued regarding mail-in ballots. Um, basically, the order directs the state to send mail-in ballots to registered voters and requires election officials to count ballots within a certain period of time after the polls close, but that timing sort of differs depending on, on whether it's postmarked or not. Uh, the Trump campaign contends that this violates the Constitution by, and this is one of my favorite words, usurpation of the state's legislature, which has the power uh, to set the process of choosing electors for the presidency. But the argument is basically that it, well, their argument is that it's a recipe for disaster because fraudulent votes dilute honest votes. Again, this red herring. Um, experts familiar with the case, however, are really just you know, it's not like a real case. It just appears to be one for intended for messaging. A uh, little meat to it. They aren't really following up on the things they should have been doing procedurally in the case. And the strategy isn't really to win, but just to get that message out there again to um, question, put in question the election. Um, and it positions them to challenge it in November. Should they be displeased with the result? That's all I have to say about that. I don't really want to comment. <laughs> I reserve <laughs> I reserve the right to challenge this election should I lose under any circumstance. Yeah. I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Allie, with the reason why they're filing this cuz this isn't the only lawsuit like this. You know, other mm-hmm. other organizations have filed alleging voter fraud, um, but no one has yet come to the table and and shown anything real. But, you know, there are also a lot of lawsuits about kind of peripheral issues that aren't necessarily about election fraud or that kind of thing. And I know, Laura, you've written on a case about ballot access signatures. Yeah, yeah. I wrote um, about a case in the Sixth Circuit um, and the decision came out. uh, I guess the the original injunction was back in July. Um, So essentially what happened is that Michigan election law requires for any um, proposed ballot questions, um, to obtain, it's a very specific number, 347,047 signatures. Good. Love it. Yeah. I don't know why they couldn't just round up (laughs) to like 348,000, 350,000. I, when I was reading the case, I read no more, no less. I, well, it has to be at least that many. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, when I was first reading the opinion, I would, I read this number three or four times. I was like, why? I don't know. Anyway, so in order to get on the ballot, you have to get this many signatures on your, you know, your proposed question. Problem is, in and the, the deadline to do so was sometime in May, I think. And the problem is, in a pandemic, that's pretty hard to do. You know, good. Uh, things should are, be. Exactly. Like, <laughs> things, are, things are shut down. People can't go, can't go door to door. And so this organization, Sawari Media, um, which is a group of um, civil rights activists, they filed for an injunction to suspend this signature requirement um, for the 2020 ballot. And that was granted and then was actually upheld by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, The Sixth Circuit found that under the circumstances, the signature requirement severely burdened their First Amendment rights and therefore shouldn't be enforced. Now, uh, Governor Whitmer's office... um, of course, appealed this. They filed for an emergency stay with the Supreme Court and then withdrew it about a week later. Um, 
for reasons that I haven't exactly been able to find, but I have a feeling it's because they knew they weren't going to win. And um, so, yeah, a little bit of a silver lining on this one. Andy, I know you don't like ballot questions that much, but at least these people are able to get access to the ballot and put their question on there. No, no. I know I know <laughs> I don't you like don't it. like it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, in my opinion, better than the alternative. Pay atten- the, alter- the better alternative is for everybody to pay attention to who they're voting for. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you on that. So I have about uh, eight other cases I want to get to, but um, I think we're going to save them for another day. I though. think we're going to have to save them. Yeah. Before everybody else. Our, starts our listeners, our listeners are throwing in the white flag. Yeah. Um, so am but, I, to be honest. But I do want to mention that I did uh, write a summary of some of these cases. Uh, they're going to be on the fine law voting rights section, which explains voting rights. Um, so if you want to read more about these cases, including links to the actual opinions themselves, please do. Yeah. I, thanks, Joe, for mentioning the fine loss voting rights section. That's a great resource for people. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, definitely take a look. Yes. Okay. With that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Allie's going to teach us some Latin. Artificial intelligence continues to reshape America's legal system. One sophisticated AI tool is QuickCheck Judicial which analyzes multiple filings from a single matter, showing judges what cases you and your opponent did or did not cite. This gives judges greater insight into both sides' arguments. But what if you could gain that same insight using the same tool your judge has? Well, now you can. Quick Check Judicial is coming later this summer. Be the first to see it. Visit tr.com forward slash quick hyphen check. And we're back. So, Allie, you wanted to talk about some dead language today, right? Well, not dead to us, but even though nobody speaks Latin anymore, lawyers certainly do fairly often um, with varying degrees of success, in my opinion. (laughs) So what have you got for us? And now it's time for Legal Latin Lingo. Welcome to the game show no one asked for. The game that has you yelling Veni Vidi Vici to strangers on the street. Legal Latin Lingo tests your knowledge of Latin terms used in legal settings. Who's ready to get started? No one? It appears I am a persona non grata. Well, let's do this anyway. (laughs) Our three contestants are my fellow hosts on this show. We do not award prizes on this show. All our guests appear pro bono. Mm. Let's welcome Joe, Laura, and Andy for this quid pro quo. Yay. Yeah. All right. All right. Whatever. (laughs) Let's get this over with. All right. Okay, I'll lob the first legal Latin lingo term your way then. A fortiori. Is it A, a really nice car your uncle bought with money he doesn't have? B, a lame argument that someone makes in court and the judge isn't buying? Or C, an argument from a stronger reason, meaning that because one fact is true, a second related and included fact must also be true? Are we supposed to tell you the answer or do we write it down? You, you can tell me. I guess. It would be C. I'm going to go with C because it seemed the most complicated. <laughs> I'm What? You're, are you saying I'm not very good at writing these? <laughs> <laughs> what, was, uh, what was the term again? A fortiori. I think I'm going to go with B. It's, you know, it sounds like maybe a, an argument that someone is shoehorning in and, and the judge isn't buying it. 
The answer is actually C. Oh. Yeah. An argument from a stronger reason. Yeah, reason. good for yeah. me and Joe. All right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, the next one is De Novo. Is it A, a lesser-known band from the 80s known for the Dutch pop rhythm, <laughs> B, a cool legal backpack for holding all your law books, or C, a new, starting from the beginning? C, I know this one. <laughs> I, I wish it was B, though. That sounds awesome. That's a good idea. They don't hand out backpacks when you join the bar, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we should do Fine Law branded De Novo backpacks. <laughs> No, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, God, there we go. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, people will buy it. We could have a we could have a promo code for that. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna go with C as well. Uh, you would be correct. Yes. A new starting from the beginning, such as in a trial de novo. Okay, hold on. I have I have to I have to be careful with this one. It's a little harder to say. Forum nonconvenience. Is it a an inappropriate place to argue? B, a disagreeable forum for the matter to be heard. C, a surprisingly obvious Latin legal term. Or D, all of the above. Wait, forum <laughs> non-convenient? Forum non-convenience. But yeah, I mean, assen- essentially you were right, Andy. Okay, uh, that yeah. sounded like English to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one go- is a little more obvious. I'm going to yeah. go with D. Yeah, I I'm, think I'd agree. I'm going to go specifically with... Only B. <laughs> a disagreeable <laughs> forum for the matter to be heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's all of them. All right, and our huh. final one. I would say this qualifies. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, final one is Mandamus. Is it A, a thieving character in Harry Potter? B, a command <laughs> usually issued by a higher court to a lower court? Or C, a really fun word to say in casual conversation? I, I, I love the call out I, to Mundungus Fletcher. Is that his character I mean, I, I wish I could answer both B and C because it is fun to say, but I'm pretty sure B? it's B. I, I think B. Yes, it is. Yeah. Rit, Honestly, rit of I, I wasn't. Yeah. I don't I don't remember what the answer <laughs> It's were, Yeah. So. When when a when a higher court tells the lower court what's what to do, it doesn't happen very often. Is it pronounced no. Mandamus like Jean-Claude Van Damme? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damus? Jean-Claude Van Damus? <laughs> it should be. Oh, I wish. I think it's Mandamus, but I don't know. Mandamus? It could be. I think I I think it is Mandamus, yeah. Oh, well that's a bummer. Well, let's. You know what, though, it, no one around speaks Latin. We can get by right. with whatever we want to do. Yeah, um, we can say whatever we want for all those dinner parties that I'm going to have with John Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> there are little clues about how to pronounce some of these online, but I couldn't quite figure them out. Um, mm. But I do actually think it is interesting to think about some of these terms that are constantly used, and I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what does that exactly mean? Uh, But thank you for joining us on Legal Latin Lingo, the game show, again, no one asked for, no one wanted, and no one enjoyed. We hope you'll join us next time. Veni, vidi, vici. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you, Allie. That was fun. It it reminded me of all those times uh, during law school where uh, I would pretend that I knew what the Latin term meant because I either didn't have time to look it up or... I just would, you know, I'd miss it in the reading. And so somebody would say it and I'm sitting there going, what the hell are you talking about? 
Um, that was actually almost how I introduced it is like, you know, the time when you nod your head knowingly as if like, you understand yeah. what the hell people are saying, but you yeah. don't. Actually, my uh, <laughs> I remember my uh, my evidence professor um, telling a story about how even his first I think he said his first year in practice, he thought that the phrase motion in limine was motion in lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I still, I mean, that was years ago that I was in that class, but he, I, he told us that story and it really stuck with me that, you know, sometimes it, things can fly under the radar and you don't realize that you're wrong until much, much later. That sounds refreshing. Motion and lemonade. Yeah. yeah. Sounds much better. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Allie, for that uh, little change of pace. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. Check the show notes for related content, and we'll see you next time. All right, that's all, people. <laughs> You're turning into Porky Pig. <laughs> that's all, folks. Badia, 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 badia. That's all, folks. <laughs> That has to go in the outtake, Joe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.